Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Recorded live. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's broadcast out of Monticello, Maine, in the beautiful Arista County. And I'll be heading up there in um, mid-November with a couple of good friends, Dr. Reverend Stevie Kraft and Dr. Kishore. We'll have more about that later. Um, the show is sponsored by Camp Constitution, uh, which um, you can visit our website, campconstitution.net. And among other things, we run a week-long, week and a day-long family camp, which takes place in Ringe, New Hampshire, in the southwest corner of New Hampshire, at the Philanippi Christian Retreat Center. Next year's camp, July 2nd to the 9th. We have people coming as far as Florida, the Midwest, and we also have a goal of starting other camps around the country. We're kind of excited about the prospects of doing that. And one of the things we're really excited about is the Sam Blumenfeld Archive. As we discussed before, Sam, the late Sam Blumenfeld, was a very dear and close friend of my, me and, of course, Camp Constitution. He was an instructor. And he left us his library, his, a very important legacy. And we were able to um, take a lot of his, uh, some of his unpublished materials, some of his articles, letters, as correspondence with uh, various people in the freedom movement over the last 40 years, some of his early work, uh, even in the 50s and early 60s, his correspondence with Rudolf Fleisch. But I think the most important thing we have is the Sam Blumenfeld uh, Alpha Phonics. You see, the that um, was probably his best work he ever did. Was uh, I'd say his most simplest was uh, creating a workbook where people could teach not only themselves, but others, how to read phonetically, something that uh, our alphabet was designed to do, uh, designed for. And in addition, to, so we got the workbook, we put it in the PDF format on our website. You can see where it says um, Sam's uh, writings, and it will drop down. And in addition to the PDF, where you can go lesson to lesson, we have 128 lessons in audio and or video which which accompany each each and most of these lessons are relatively short and by the time you finish all 128 you can do it in less than a month uh sometimes two weeks sometimes they've been able to learn how to read in two weeks he also has remediated same as to remediate people who had trouble reading and he would actually um he would um teach adults how to read phonetically so Get off that look. Say a lot of people, a lot of people, young young people and adults, even middle-aged, older adults, uh, uh, learned how to read using the look-say method, are uh, functionally illiterate. He was able to help a lot of people. So 
that's available, and we have received lots and lots of views and downloads of our material. It's all free, and we make that available to those. Now, I'm supposed to have a special guest today. His name is Ed Martin. He's the director of... Oh, here he is. Okay, Ed, is that you? Hello? Hello? Hey, Ed. You're on the Camp Constitution Radio. Hi, it's Ed Martin. How are you? Good. Let me just introduce you. Uh, Ed Martin is the director of Eagle Forum, and he is the co-author of The Conservative Case for Trump, uh, written by Phyllis Schlafly, Ed Martin, and Brett M. Decker. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm very excited about having you on our show. Glad to be on with you. Thank you very much. Uh, tell us a little bit about Eagle Forum uh, before we talk about the book, uh, yep. if you could. Uh, something, an organization I have lots of friends over the years, uh, and uh, I've worked with them on a number of issues, and also I've had the privilege of knowing uh, Phyllis Schlafly. I actually went sailing with her back in 1997 with some friends up in Maine. Wow. But, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's a story. Yeah. No, listen, um, Eagle Forum is uh, one of the organizations that Phyllis Schlafly started over her 70 plus years in public life. Um, she maybe is famous in conservative circles for her fight against the ERA in the 70s into the early 80s. But, um, and that was when uh, her and her band of eagles, as she called them, started Eagle Forum. And, uh, but she, I, I think when history writes the book on uh, the 92 year life of Phyllis Schlafly, uh, a few of the things that they will highlight. One is that she was a prolific writer, not just uh, 27 books, but literally tens of thousands of columns and radio commentaries daily and things like that. Uh, just an extraordinary output. But the second thing is she was kind of one of the leading uh, of the 20th century sort of serial entrepreneurs. She, in the social, uh, maybe in the grassroots organizing social setting, she she self-published a book, the Cho A Choice Not an Echo, at a yeah. time in 1964 when most people had to go through uh, the big publishing houses, and she sort of did that herself, and, and that took off. She uh, did radio and TV shows. She uh, pioneered the newsletter. She started a newsletter in 1967 monthly called the PS Report, uh, and that was really the backbone of of her operation was the 50 years, and we were into the 50th year last month of the monthly PS report. And, you know, again, the, the history of Phyllis, her wit and wisdom and all is, is clear, but some interesting details. She, she was never a particularly prolific major donor fundraiser. She didn't have that sort of uh, that ask in her, but so she raised all her money that supported her work through the uh, monthly PS report. It was really the sort of first direct mail uh, sort of solicitation. People would pay for the subscription, and that funded the efforts, uh, grassroots efforts. So Eagle Forum now is in oh, 120 state chapters in almost every one of the 50, uh, 57 states, as Barack Obama taught us. And, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and, 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 yeah, and I think the, you know the the underlying principle of Phyllis's life was described as pro-family. I think I would describe it maybe more uh, more broadly as someone who recognized the inherent goodness of each and every person, which is what her faith taught her, but also, and then coming out of that, the best unit for flourishing and growing, the ideal one was the family with a mother and father and, uh, and a family. And that was really what she saw and, and what she motivated, motivated her. But she was an expert over the decades in military superiority and the strategic balance with the Soviets uh, on uh, education and reading. She was in the reading fight over the, the phonics versus some of the whole... And I know, know she, was also, she was also a friend of my late friend Sam Blumenfeld. 
as well. That's right. Yes, in fact, in fact, she was very fond of him uh, because of his uh, the last book he wrote. She said it really. She, in fact, she joked uh, with me that the first half of that book you could tell was written by him, by Blumenfeld, and the second half was by the academic because she said the first half was so readable and so easy. But she was very moved, powerfully moved by what he figured out about how the the the, the effort to make people be sort of not good readers and not very illiterate uh, was an effort to dumb down the electorate and dumb down the policy. So anyway, she was. You're, she, she, you're talking about uh, the crimes of the educators. That was his last that, book. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. And, and that by was, the way, you um, before you came on, we have archived. I was I inherited Sam's library, and CampConstitution.net has archived many of his some of its unpublished writings, but also his Alpha Faunus workbook with all 128 lessons. So spread the word because oh, a lot glad of people to, are yeah. yeah. Well, remind me of that offline because we have a we have a one of the things that I've become really interested in since becoming president of Eagle Forum is how we utilize the uh, the conservative um, the movement conservatives archives and Phyllis had an extraordinary one. You know, Barack Obama you can always learn from him even if you don't trust him. Barack Obama uh, his his friend announced Eric Nesbitt announced in Chicago they're going to spend two billion dollars on his library, a billion on the on the brick and mortar, and a billion to digitize all of the Obama presidency to make it accessible to the world. And as you know, the most valuable thing you can do is get things like Blumenfeld stuff and Phyllis's stuff on the Internet, but then you've got to get people to it. You know, you've got to find ways that's to, right. as you said. That's so right. that's, that's great. I'm glad you told me that. I will make sure to connect with you on that. Yeah, excellent. Yes. So um, anyway, um, and I, I mentioned, you mentioned Choice Not an Echo. I remember when we were sailing, I think at that time in 97, I had some friend gave me uh, a couple of cases that he had bought back during the Goldwater campaign, and she was laughing about it. She says, oh, that thing, oh, like that old relic. And yeah. I, I, I think I went on to Amazon. Uh, I still have about a dozen copies, and they're going for like 15 to $20 a piece. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Yeah, and the exciting thing in that book again was that uh, she self-published it, and you know it's it's interesting. People say it sold more than three million copies. And one time a few years ago, I said to her, Phyllis, now hold on a second. You self-published three million copies. How did that happen? And what she mm-hmm. admitted and what she described was just what you said. People would call up and buy a case. They would buy right. twenty or fifty, and they would take them, and then they would give them out. So she said, I didn't sell to three million people. She said, I, right. I sold to hundreds of thousands. It's true, but it was a fa- again a fascinating exercise in. In, uh, in the distribution of content, right, and, and a way um, way she was doing things. So, by the way, on that, a choice not an echo. When our our recent book came out on September sixth, it rocketed up the Amazon rankings to I think number sixty one day and number one in the categories. But what came up with it? And we watched it was the uh, the revised version, the updated version of A Choice Not an Echo came out about two years ago in which Phyllis uh, went forward from 64 and described each of the conventions and the election cycles coming forward to 2000 and through 2012 and it rocketed up with it. But it was, you know, the, as a historical uh, document describing one woman insider's uh, uh, role and perspective on these conventions and the Republican presidential politics. It's an extraordinary uh, book and an extraordinary history. And there was another very important work she did, uh, Kissinger on the Couch with uh, yeah. Admiral, the late yep. Admiral Chester Ward. It's a bit of a tome. It's, a, it's oh, I don't know, 800 pages, but mm-hmm. it's an incredible book, book. And some of the things that uh, Admiral Ward had said in there are very, uh, very important because he was a man that's he was a judge advocate general, I mm-hmm. believe, and he was a member of the uh, Council on Foreign Relations. And he sort of yep. said, "Hey, 
He said, not everybody that belongs to this group has any agenda. He said, but the, the ruling elite do. And he said, they have a lust to surrender our sovereignty. And we see that with, uh, with Hillary Clinton. Uh, she's yep. completely into that. We know Barack Obama prefers the U.N. over the U.S., so right. another important book. Well, well let me, by discuss. the way, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you quick, two quick stories about oh, that sure. that your listeners might enjoy. One is, Admiral, as you mentioned, Admiral Chester Ward, uh, who on Phyllis's, the wall of Phyllis's office is a, uh, is a photograph of him that he inscribed her, and he said, to our, to our St. Joan of Arc, uh, for, oh. uh, Phyllis Schlafly, for, for giving me a chance to reach her readers and teaching me how to write so people could understand it. And he went on, and I said to Phyllis once, Chester Ward, like he was a big, you know, this would be like Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf or one of these big, Sure. hero guys and I said when did you write these and she said oh whatever years and she went through them late 60s and 70s I said you know three or four books together I said when he came to Alton Illinois where did he stay and I said well she said what do you mean I said well I mean he's a you know he's used to being he was retired but he was used to being a big shot she said oh he stayed down the hall there was a room past the boys room you know she had six <laughs> kids and she and I said did he share the bathroom with the boys and she said oh yeah of course and so anyway wow. but, but uh, the other quick story on that Chester Ward was uh, famed to have said he'd never met a non-military person who understood what was going on in the strategic balance and the fight with the Soviets than Phyllis uh, but the other story I want to tell you was and this will segue to our conversation on the book, the Trump book. But Phyllis met with Reagan just before she endorsed him, as she did with Donald Trump just before she endorsed him. And we could go into what she and Trump talked about. I was in the room. But when she was with Reagan, she, she extracted from Reagan only one promise, only one commitment. I don't think she made it as a promise. She was so far too clever with how she phrased things. But she made it, and she said Reagan did commit to her that he would never appoint Kissinger to any role in his government ever, and he never did. And that mm. was because Phyllis was so convinced that Kissinger had – Phyllis was convinced that Kissinger was a communist. I mean, she said his, 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 the way of his quotes on saying America is a second-rate nation, we just have to negotiate ourselves yeah, – I'm, I'm overstating how he said it. But Phyllis was convinced that he had done serious damage to both parties, but especially the Republican Party. He had really misunderstood and, and misled people, uh, Republican leadership. So that was her, her, her promise from Reagan, and he, he honored his word to her. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, there was a uh, there was a book published in the uh, mid late sixties by a former State Department official's name. Oh, I just can't think of his name offhand, but he basically made that contention that Kissinger was definitely uh, a communist agent from his World War II days in Germany. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, that's a, that's a topic for another time. Uh, yeah, yeah, a good yeah, topic, by the way. Um, uh, so anyway, the conservative case for Trump, it's a nice little hardback. It's. Uh, Sort of fits in one hand, uh, <laughs> yep. and I had a friend send me a large quantity of them on a pallet, and I delivered some up to me. I live in Boston, and I wow. said, oh, I have a minivan. I hope I, I hope I'm not scraping the ground. I came. I says, oh, they're not too bad. It's not really a, <laughs> a big heavy book, you know. It's a, it's a nice little book, and uh, what I like about it is um, it, it's 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 it, 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 chapter by chapter what Trump uh, on immigration, on Trump on the trade issue. Uh, and then there's a uh, there's a chapter on the uh, the Article Five Convention, which I'm glad that she was or you folks were able to put in there. And yep. I don't know if Trump's come out on that issue uh, publicly, but I know that the Eagle Forum has been one of the organizations that have been fighting this uh, this call yeah. for Article Five Convention. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you the quick story on the book. I mean, on March 11th, Phyllis met with uh, Donald Trump uh, before she endorsed him here in Missouri in St. Louis, where we live. And in fact, uh, three days later, Donald Trump or four days later carried Missouri in the in the presidential primary just by a, a few thousand votes. And Donald Trump, who came to Phyllis's funeral a few months, a few weeks ago, yeah. uh, and they attribute it to they attribute her win the win in Missouri to her, and they attribute uh, some of the other things. He he really believes that Phyllis Schlafly's early support of him on the issues, not let alone the endorsement, but in the private meeting that they had and I was there the discussion uh, it was about 25 minutes and Phyllis brought a copy of her 2012 platform that she has spent decades for those of your listeners that are thinking about third parties or fourth parties or fifth parties the message from Phyllis Schlafly was you know if you want that go to Europe in America we're a two-party uh, country and we have to make our Republican Party better but she spent 50 years making that platform conservative especially the pro-life especially the military superiority anyway she said to Trump I've spent 50 years doing this and I really would like you to you know help me keep it strong and he said i will now i will tell you in cleveland where phyllis was a delegate and i accompanied her we got nothing but help from the trump campaign and the 2016 platform is even better than the 2012 it's extraordinary mm. phyllis said it was the best and and the trump people honored their word i mean we we didn't want uh the the article five in there we didn't want a rollover for the for the homosexual rights efforts and all that and they really honored their word so but the second part of that meeting was um in this meeting with phyllis and donald trump was she said you know, Justice Scalia died a few weeks ago. At the time, it was about four weeks before. She said, I really need to know that you're going to appoint judges and justices in the mold of Scalia. And he said, I will. And he said, I won't let you down. And I think for people that, again, are, are worried about aspects of these candidates and their lives, it's fair enough. I get it. I mean, and I think, you know, Trump has apologized for certain things that he said and even things he's done. But at the end of the day, one party is going to be in power and be picking judges and administration officials and all. And I think, you know, the contrast is stark. So it was um, it was really important. I'll mention about the book. That was March 11th. Once Phyllis pulled off the sort of Band-Aid and endorsed, we were talking and she was trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, in certain parts of the country, Phyllis Schlafly's endorsement is more valuable in a primary than it is in a general, right? I mean, it doesn't. Mm. She was not naive about that. So she was asking, what could we do? And we struck upon this idea of putting out a book in maybe late August. Even we were trying to shoot for earlier August, but ended up being September 6th that said not anti-Hillary, but why for Trump, aimed at conservatives that would listen to Phyllis Schlafly, that would say, okay, I'm conservative, so is she, let me see what she says. And that's how we got where we are. And, you know, when we were writing it, maybe the only thing worse than comparing your writing to Phyllis is having her editing it. I mean, Brett Decker's a, <laughs> Brett Decker's a professional writer, and I'm a, a, a wannabe, and, and we just, we went back and forth, and Phyllis tore it up. And what you end up with is a, a very, 10 chapters, very straightforward. You know, it's the bo whole book is less than 250 pages, and really the chapters are about 140 or 50 and it lays out the case and on those key issues and by the way one key point american sovereignty the reason why the first two chapters are immigration and trade is because phyllis believed those are the ones in this election cycle that trump the, pardon my pun, the others. I mean, we all care about judges. We all care about political correctness, even military superiority. But we put those first because if you don't get a handle on immigration, you're changing America for good. If you don't you get no a handle country. on... That's right. Yeah, you don't have no country. You have no country. So that was how we got to the book. And boy, it was a race. From uh, March, probably about April 1st, we really started writing and we were done by May 15th and had to get everything together to get it out. But it was... Um, it was And Phyllis, typical. I mean, God love her. She died on... On September 5th, the book came out on September 6th, and it went right to the New York Times bestseller list and all that. But we hope it's contributing to people understanding why Trump, you know, and why vote for Trump. 
Well, I think the fact that she she took a lot of courage to endorse him way way back in March when the primaries were still uh, underway, and there were some other people in the conservative camp just didn't uh, didn't care for that. But again, I, she's a very she was a very wise woman. She just didn't do it arbitrarily. She really looked into it, and I think it really helped. I think a lot of people supported Trump because they saw all of the other Republicans sort of uh, establishment wannabes. You know, they'll. Uh, Ted Cruz had a pretty good voting record as a senator, but there were some issues about how was he really committed to the free trade. He was wishy-washy on this um, on this um, trade, some trade of the trade issues. deals, and yeah, you know, some, and, some and his issues, wife yeah. was connected to the establishment. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Jeff Bush and so, so I think a lot of people said, you know, the fact that, and I, I was glad to, I mean, when I heard that she endorsed him, I thought mm, she's going to catch some flack, but uh, but I think it took a lot of courage. And uh, I uh, and I was very glad she did that. Well, and here's the thing that um, here's the thing that people need to know. Um, the um, when, from the time Donald Trump came down that escalator in June, again, Phyllis, uh, maybe especially at the end of her life, she was a writer. I mean, you know, I told her, I asked her once, when did you become a writer? And she said, well. I had a teacher who told me every day when you come to school, you have to bring a paragraph. And she said, I never stopped writing. And she really never stopped writing. But so at the end of her life, she wasn't traveling as much. She was still doing lots of radio and some TV, but she was writing. So the time in June, in fact, in the back of the book, you will see an almost complete uh, bibliography of the number of times that Phyllis from June of 2015 until the book came out in probably August or so, uh, she wrote about Trump. It's almost 60 times. She wrote co- weekly columns about him. And it wasn't a about him. It wasn't about his personality. It was about the right. issues. And she had spent 25 years decrying immigration and trade. And no Repub- let's be honest, the Republican Party, a few of its leaders, leading lights, Cruz was one, had semi-good position. No one had taken the issue by the horns like Trump did. And she was as stunned as anyone at what was happening. with it. And it was wonderful. She was convinced it was the necessary, you know, in December, she didn't endorse Trump, but she did an interview, December 2015. And I know this from the Trump, uh, one of Trump's uh, sons, uh, Donald Jr. told this to one of our people. Uh, when she, On a Friday afternoon, she called me and she said, I just did an interview. I said, yeah. And she said, I didn't endorse him. I said, uh-oh, what'd you say? And she said, well, I said he might be our last hope. I said, well, that's pretty close to endorsing. And the Trump campaign took that and went into South Carolina and other places, as you just said, and said to conservatives, look at what Phyllis means. Now, I tell you all that to say she didn't endorse him because she thought he was a macho, charismatic guy, although she did. She didn't endorse him because he was an incredible communicator and, and politically incorrect in a way that was refreshing, even though he is. She endorsed him because when she looked at what he was saying and what he, was, what he believed, she thinks, and it's true about Reagan. Reagan, she told me, Reagan was not great on every issue, but she knew he was the man to beat the Soviets. He was strong and got communism. And Trump is the man to keep American sovereignty and take it back. And ultimately, I said to her once, one of the people that loves you says they don't know if they can um, trust Trump. And she looked at me and she said, tell him I trust Trump. <laughs> wow. And that, you know, after all those years, Phyllis Schlafly trusted Trump. I, I told one of my friends who complained, I said, look, she might be wrong this time, but she's been right for about seven decades. I think I'll stick with her, you know? So that's how well, we got there. During the first debate, Trump kept on hammering on the job issue, the middle class. And I think that, and now I think that he'll get some Bernie Sanders votes, because there are a lot of people in that I, I, there are, I would call them 
um, anti-establishment progressives. Uh, I hate to use the word progressive because socialist isn't progressive, but that's the term they that people use. But there are some that aren't buying into this the establishment. You know, they don't trust big government. Uh, they like local government. They like to turn Vermont into a socialist, but they don't like they don't trust the the big corporations and so forth. And they don't like the free trade. And that's what that one thing they may have in common with Trump is enough. I know that Pat Buchanan. Um, back when he was running for the prime, and I think Phyllis Schlafly back supported him as well. That mm-hmm. was the right. people on the left because of the trade issue. I mean, that's that important, that everything else can take a back seat. And I, and, and I think he'll also get some black vote and Hispanic vote because they see him as sort of a man, a man's man, you know, as right. opposed to some wishy-washy, you know, I read a teleprompter, I am what you want me to be. Right, right. No, and, and and a couple things on that is, um, you know, in that same A Choice Not an Echo in 64, Phyllis Schlafly, this is very little known, Phyllis Schlafly is the first person to ever call and to discover the Bilderbergs. She was in Sea Island, Georgia, oh. and she noticed there was a meeting, and she said, she told me the story, she went over to the other hotel, and she said to them, one, one of the concierge, what's this about? And it's a meeting and her and her husband either bribed or convinced the guy to give him a list she had a list of the early about three years into the Bilderberg the meeting there really? it included all McGeorge George McDonald uh, Bundy and, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Kissinger all these people that later became the leading lights and back to my point is she would have told you and she wrote about this this is a showdown the reason why the grassroots of both parties are coming across to each other and Trump is because it's it's become clear one set of people the the power she called them the king Makers. They have in their interest the globalist agenda, and the rest of us don't. And the question America first, and uh, and I think that's really the the tension point that you're seeing on this. And I think you know I I don't want to belabor. I mean the the fact is American culture is tough and funny and and a little bit scary. You know they are making Trump's past into all this stuff. But I think you look over across the in England, um, you know in 1980. The elections that happened about five months before Reagan in Britain signaled what happened to Reagan. And Reagan, you know, over the summer was supposed to be mm-hmm. had an election, the Brexit vote, where people were polled. Yeah. You know, they were it was down 15 points and it won by two or three. Now, I'm not saying that may or may not be enough. I am saying that there's a lot of voters who are out there that are looking up at this guy and they're saying, by the way, another example is I stood at, at Washington University during the waiting for the debate standing with a cop as they, he was letting students into the area and i said at, at a pause and i said well what do you think who are you for and he said every cop i know is for trump and i said really and he said yeah he said trump's on our side and she's on black lives matter side now i said is everyone and he said well there's one guy that went and did a master's degree and he thinks he's smart so he's for hillary but otherwise <laughs> I, mean, I think there's i think there's i think there's some fault lines showing in our culture that are transcending the party, and candidly, no other Republican could have pulled that off except Trump. This is where it's, when someone said the other day to me, Romney could have beaten Hillary, they misunderstand how little attraction Romney had from the working class that are being drawn to Trump. The question now is whether the educated classes will see through their hubris and understand why Trump is better. And if they don't, you know, Hillary might squeak through, but I think it's going to be extraordinary. Well, I think when it, people can say anything they want publicly, oh, I'm not going to do this. But when you get to the ballot box and you pull the curtain, you know, and you pull a lever, are you going to vote for a Gary Johnson with William Weld? Uh, as much as I really respect the American Party people, the Constitution Party, I think they they should be focusing on Congress. I mean, they're not even in the primaries. Most people don't even know who they are, and I respect that. I can respect, you know, that vote. You're accountable to God for your vote. 
Uh, but we're looking at a very critical time in our nation's history. We've got these trade agreements that Obama wants to get through. We've got tons of Republicans backing it. We've got uh, the education establishment with common courts about to put the, the nail in the coffin of public. I mean, you know the generation of common court children. We've, and then you have the border issue. Uh, we lose our borders. We've lost our borders. We're going to, and if you have amnesty, we're gonna, our culture will change dramatically. So, and it's exactly what um, what was promised by what's his name there, the um, the Chicano man uh, back in the <clears throat> back in the 50s and 60s. He promised to deliver a left wing Democrat Congress by the year 2000, and he didn't quite succeed. Uh, and uh, this is what. Um, the goal is, and if I, that's how important and critical this is. This, and I actually think this uh, this 11 year old um, recording, yeah, it was vulgar and it was unfortunate, but I don't think it's going to destroy him. I think that people uh, they, they don't like what it's an embarrassment, but I don't think it's going to destroy him. I can't imagine. I mean, look, Hillary is. Uh, I would love to see. Not not that I want to hear some of the recordings, but. Uh, I would think that her, uh, her. Uh, we've heard from some of the Secret Service people. Let's say she's got a mouth like a, you know, like a like a truck driver, worse than a truck driver. Yeah, yeah I mean, and and look, I think it, I think that the difference in this moment is, and it's not. I'm not to say it's uh, it is the perfect moment, and there's parts of it that are that are difficult. The difference in this moment is both candidates are sort of have been laid bare. If I could give Donald Trump advice tonight, I would have him say at the very beginning something like, you know, look over at Hillary and say, you know, Hillary. In the, in the last few weeks, and certainly in the next three, they're going to make us look like terrible people, you know, and, and I guess that's part of what happens here, and I certainly agree with you and me. We, we, we can be better. I hope we'll be better, but let's talk about our vision, right? I mean, we're, right. Seeing, the, we're seeing a modern, I mean, it's always probably true, but it's a, the, the information transfer makes it easier to make it so terrible, but look, at the end of the day, I, I, I think what you're right about this in the sense that, um, you know, ultimately people are going to go and they're going to pick for a future and I just don't think Hillary is giving the chance. There, some of them should be saying something different, like any other Democrat would probably be winning a landslide. But she yes. is so damaged as a woman yes. of the past that I think ultimately um, it may be uh, that, 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 as you say, but it's very tough. I mean, I've never seen anything like the onslaught of this. Uh, by the way, one thing Phyllis used to say, I, you can appreciate it. She used to say, "We're electing a uh, president, not a pastor." You know, That's I mean, right. this is there's this is uh, you know, don't tell me that these are flawed human beings. I I bet you can't find someone who is ambitious enough to run for president who isn't sort of a character like my grandma used to say, a character which meant cut both ways, right? It was just this That's is right. these are people that are once in a generation. So uh, ultimately, I I think you're right, but I think the onslaught is still to come. I mean, the panic and the the combination of the globalists. And the establishment, and then the media—it's just an amazing onslaught. It's hard to and we have, even uh, pick. We have less. We have less than a minute left. Uh, give the listeners uh, contact information where they can buy the book and get a hold yep. of Eagle Forum. Well, first of all, you can always go to any bookseller now. It's everywhere. So I, I always encourage folks to have a local bookseller in St. Louis, but it's also on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. If you go to eagleforum.org, that's our website. You'll find a lot of Phyllis's writings. If people are interested in something I said, I really enjoy the interaction. So my email address is ed at eagleforum.org. And again, you know, three weeks left. Phyllis loved to say politics is where the action is, and uh, you got to get off off the couch. She also used to say God has got a lot on his mind, and, and uh, stuffing the ballot box 
box is not something he's doing. We got to go do our part. Um, so I hope people are energized. I hope they will vote for Donald Trump. And I hope, uh, you know, I do hope it'll be a part of making America continuing to make it greater and greater and greater and special for our kids and grandkids. All right. Well, Ed, thank you. God bless you. And we'll be in touch. I'll, uh, I'll get a hold of you. I have your phone number, so we'll stay in touch. Yeah, please do. I'd love to help okay. promote that uh, that archive, too. The Blumenfeld is a great guy, so thank you. All right. Bye now. You're listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. Good night, and thanks for listening.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.